Welcome to Peace Lab, a podcast focused on current events, faith, and peacemaking from a Mennonite perspective. I'm your host for this week's episode, Jason Boone of the Peace and Justice Support Network. Peace Lab is a partnership between the Peace and Justice Support Network and the Mennonite Inc. magazine and website. Today we'll be talking to Marty Troyer, pastor of Houston Mennonite Church down there in Houston, Texas. If you know Marty, you love him. And if you don't know him, we're going to fix that. Marty's doing some fantastic peace work in Houston. Today, we'll hear about Marty's personal journey towards peacemaking, learn about how he became known as the Peace Pastor, writing for the Houston Chronicle, and we'll talk about his new book, The Gospel Next Door. Thanks for joining us, and enjoy our conversation with Marty Troyer. Marty, Jason Boone here from the Peace Lab Podcast, and it's great to talk to you again. It's been too long for us to connect. Thanks for making time for us today. I'm happy to be here, Jason. Thanks for the opportunity. Look forward to it. Look forward to catching up with you personally and also hearing about your book, The Gospel Next Door. Mm-hmm. I think maybe to set the stage, though, for folks who don't know, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your own journey. What uh, what got you where you are today? Yeah, so uh, I mean, I think immediately what brings me to this podcast is you and I have a friendship and a deep connection about peace and, and what that means, uh, which is a huge part of my own personal story. I've uh, grown up in a Mennonite family, always been part of the Mennonite church. I was from Ohio originally, an amazing Christian family that taught me from the earliest age the importance of faith and church and faith in action. I attended Heston College for two years, and while I was there, uh, really kind of under, become to, started to understand more what the Mennonite uh, faith is asking of us. And because of that, I just got really curious, Jason, about why the rest of the world wasn't Mennonite like I was. <laughs> and uh, so as I discerned where to go after Heston College, really decided I wanted to go and understand what the rest of American Christianity thought and believed. And my understanding at the time was that evangelical Christianity was probably the largest or at least the most vocal, the most uh, public group of Christians, and so I attended Wheaton College and fell in love at that point with Anabaptism and a much more kind of robust idea of peace and action in our world and what I felt God was doing. Uh, That was a huge part of my journey. I really feel like while I was at at Wheaton College is where I felt some kind of a second call or a second um, understanding of what faith is, that it's about all of life, following Jesus, uh, even if that means that a peace stance, which is really a minority stance in a place like Wheaton and even America, that we that we live that call. And uh, it was there at Wheaton that I came up with this phrase that has never left, left me, and that is uh, that I think that my faith journey is a journey of moving from belief in Jesus to the uh, to journeying to believing Jesus. And for me, that really kind of happened at Wheaton. Um, and that's the framework of my own kind of faith journey and even life journey is is really trying to understand as a dad and a pastor and a citizen and a global world what it means to believe Jesus and take him at his word. Wow. So at Wheaton, you uh, discovered, I got maybe rediscovered or, or a different part of your faith. Uh, what were some of the interactions you had with the, with the faculty and the students coming from the peace perspective? Did, were, were they fruitful dialogues? Did you? How did those interactions help you sort of? Uh, look at yourself and your own faith. Yeah, uh, it was all across the board. There was a, and I tell a story in the book about a friend of mine who I ate lunch with in the cafeteria one day, and 
he'd asked me to sit down and talk with him about my peace stance and, and what I thought God was up to in the world. And it wasn't too long into the conversation that he took his tray of food, threw it down on our table, uh, told me I was going to hell and, and walked out of the cafeteria. So that's kind of the one extreme of someone who reacted really negatively um, about the what I was trying to share, and probably as a 20-year-old didn't do well, right, but was trying to share that I think that God's promise is the promise of peace, and so we, we live that. If God's about peace, then uh, what it means to be a Christian is to be a peacemaker. Uh, but then I also found a lot of reception uh, from faculty especially, which surprised me at the time, but other students. Uh, me and a couple other Mennonite Anabaptist types, we formed Wheaton's first peace club, which we called Plowshares. And at the time, we were we were small. We were like the mustard seed uh, club on campus. And now it's, it's large and, thri- and thriving after almost 20 years later. Um, so yeah, the reception was mixed as it as peace talks always are in America, um, but also really fruitful and energizing for me. And so now you're you're here at Houston Mennonite, and how long have you been there? And can you tell us a little, a little bit about the community there? My wife and I moved here in 2008, and so we've been here going on eight years now. Uh, moved here when. We had one child who was almost one years old at the time, and we now have three kids. So this has been like home base for us as a family. And I moved here not entirely sure that I was in in the right place. I uh, wasn't so sure about Texas, uh, uh, open carry. I wasn't so sure about culture here or Houston. Didn't really know much about the city, but I'll tell you, Jason, I, I fell in love with Houston almost immediately after moving here. And, and I talk about uh, my kind of unchosen affection for Houston in my book because I really feel like Houston has become an important character in my life. Um, not that I – I mean, again, I don't necessarily fit in here perfectly. I don't necessarily love Houston because uh, it's a perfect fit culturally for my family. But I love Houston because of the amazing ministry that happens here and really feel like from my experience in other settings that – Anabaptism just pops here. I mean, it just stands out in stark contrast. And it and for many, it's a beautiful thing. The opportunities that we have here as a church are many. And as my church speaks or acts, uh, it, it feels like a small action. But in this context, it has huge ramifications. Uh, so I pastor a small church. I think of our congregation as being 60 people spread out over 6 million uh, here in southeast Texas, and we're involved in all kinds of things like death penalty abolition, uh, racial justice, and organization called Standing Up for Racial Justice, uh, and, and many other things like fair trade, uh, 10,000 villages, on and on and on. And, and my people, again, small church, but have huge hearts, and each in our own way are, are living uh, a pretty exceptional faith here in Houston, which is not the easiest context to be uh, Anabaptists, but we've also discovered along the way that we are not alone. And I think when I moved here, Jason, I thought we were the only Mennonite church in town. I thought we were the only Anabaptist, peace-minded people. And I've just had that myth or assumption blown out of the water, uh, and my people as well. We just don't think that way anymore. We realize we're part of a bigger movement. And that love for Houston really comes out. One can tell that's a, a very important part of who you are and your and your mission and your call. And I know you're very active in the larger community. You help bring a Mennonite voice or an Anabaptist perspective to different aspects of the community. 
one way you do that is through your gift of writing through the newspaper there as, as the peace pastor. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is and how that came about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've been writing a blog for the Houston Chronicle for uh, six years now. And uh, it, it came about almost accidentally, uh, but it has been an incredible networking tool for our congregation. It's opened a lot of doors and, uh, and, it, and it's given a lot of negative feedback, but more than overwhelmingly, it's given positive feedback and it's kind of built these relationships with like-minded people. Um, so the accident was, uh, again, about six years ago, one of the religion writers at the Chronicle was doing an article about Lent. And after a Google search or some kind of a search, uh, found our church webpage, which talked about Lent from a Mennonite perspective. And she was really intrigued by that because she thought that Mennonites were plain folk like they are uh, in some settings, uh, maybe Pennsylvania, Ohio, or even Amish. So she thought that's what we were and asked, called and asked if she could come to church on a Sunday, uh, which she did and instantly realized, wow, her assumptions were all wrong about us. Um, but through that, through the message I preached and a short conversation after church, she said, you know, man, I'd really love for you to have a blog on our website. Um, and I'd really love for you to write about Christianity and peace. And in, and in particular, would you write about Christianity uh, and how Christians can be against the death penalty? Because that's just a really strange concept is what she said. And so I was hooked with the idea and went back to my congregation, and they right away said, yeah, this is an opportunity for us. Um, but I don't know that either one of us realized how big the opportunity would be at that time. And it's not quite this way anymore, but at that time, the Chronicle really supported uh, religious faith leaders. And so one of my first blog posts was read by several hundred thousand people. And that's when uh, I think we realized we'd gotten into something a lot bigger than we anticipated but it was also something much more rich and uh, a much bigger gift than we thought it would be at that time. So, yeah, Peace Pastor uh, has been a great doorway uh, for our congregation to walk into the wider community. And so your, your gifts of writing and your passion for Houston and, and all these other things have, have really come together uh, in this fantastic book, The Gospel Next Door, which I've had up on my electronic device here for, uh, for some time. Uh, reading through and then going back and rereading and whatnot. So how did that transition come about from from writing the the blog and uh, getting a vision for the book and pulling that off? I've always wanted to write a book, but never never really understood um, never really understood the gift that I wanted to give, especially to my congregation, but you know to the church. Uh, until a couple of years ago, and really started to see, uh, and again, a lot of this was due to these networks and, and relationships outside our congregation, but really started to see some pretty amazing things that were happening in Houston. Uh, things about everything from like individual families who were opening their home to the homeless, to the way that the church responded to human trafficking. Uh, my connections with the labor movement and the death penalty abolition movement. And all of a sudden I realized there's a lot that God's up to here in Houston. And I wasn't sure that we knew the whole picture. You know, I kept talking to individuals and they were excited about and knew like one little slice of what God might be doing in the city. But they weren't connecting the whole. 
Uh, and some of that is because of Houston, where this massive metropolis spread out over such an area that, that churches and organizations aren't connected. Uh, and that was my window. That was, that was what I finally said. Uh, the, the true gift to the people is, is to show them that their individual stories are part of a much larger movement. Um, and so I started to think of it this way, Jason, that you have these individual stories of ministry and if you hear only one of those, it's exciting, maybe even inspiring. But if you hear multiple stories of ministry, you begin to see a mosaic that's happening, uh, this mosaic that you're a part of. And if you take a step back even from that mosaic and you begin to see all the things that are happening, not just in Houston but beyond, all of a sudden you're not just a person doing individual ministry or even part of a mosaic in Houston. There's, there's, What if there's a movement that we're part of, a movement of God – uh, to address human trafficking, to stop wars, to stop death penalty, to do these things. And, and that was, for me, the gift I wanted to give, uh, a mosaic of what God is doing in a broad level, and even connecting that to a movement of people that are in Houston, Portland, uh, Heston, Kansas, small-town Pennsylvania, uh, and even beyond that around the world. But, uh, yeah, to be able to name and claim what I see uh, in my own humble, limited way, what I see God up to, and how the church is part of that. What struck me is that that's a, a, a very radical statement, and I think a lot of times us as Mennonites and Anabaptists, we, we get used to it and we swim in the water and, and you can't see the water anymore. Um, but if you can take a step back and look, so much theology is about sort of intellectually approaching God, worshiping God, doing all these things to God and the gospel from a distance. Mm-hmm. But you're really placing us in that story, placing us with God in a movement, that's a radical shift. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why is that message needed, especially in the time we live in, in, in Houston, in the United States, in the world? Why is this an important message for people to hear? Well, one of the things that has maybe surprised me the most about my uh, the reception of the book and the way people have, have talked about it is uh, it's come time and time back again to hope. And uh, I, I wanted to write a hopeful, positive book, uh, but I've been really, really overwhelmed by how hopeful people have responded um, to it. Uh, because, and, and what I mean by that is, a lot of times we we get really bogged down in our corner of the church or uh, what we feel like our particular mission is. Uh, because it's hard. I mean, it's hard work to to take on a cause or to teach Sunday school every week, and uh, and so for me to to give um, that step back, right, step back a little bit, or or step up and see see the movement of God from five thousand or fifty thousand feet has been really hopeful for people because they realize it's not all up to them. Uh, this idea that they're part of something, this movement. Um, you know, the, the, the prophet in the Old Testament says that uh, God and his justice flow like a never-ending stream. And if we're part of that never-ending stream, then it all doesn't depend on me. Uh, God's doing something whether I'm part of it or not. And it will continue on whether I'm part of it or not. Uh, and somehow that news uh, just really gives a sense of freedom and hope that it doesn't all depend on me and that I'm not alone in this. And so, you know, in a place like Houston, uh, when I when I moved here, there were eh, three or four different organizations working uh, with human trafficking, but they never talked to each other. 
And so each one of them either started and had their genesis with this idea that they had to solve the problem, um, which is almost absurd to think about. But if they can take a step back and realize, hey, check it out, there are five, ten, and now there's probably 15 or 20 after several years that are all trying to do the same thing in their own way, um, it becomes really freeing and hopeful um, to be part of something like that. Uh, and that's true of lots of issues. I keep coming back to human trafficking, but it's true of a lot of issues. We're just not alone in this. Uh, and we're able to name and claim that that, uh, that God really is inspiring folks uh, other than us, and we can be their partners. What are a couple of your favorite stories from the book, Marty? Yeah, I love uh, that I had the opportunity to tell a lot of stories. Uh, and I wish I'd have told more stories, but one of my favorites in the story is in a chapter about uh, seeking the common good. Uh, and for me, the common good means that we, we use our vocation and our volunteer hours to, to make the best of our communities and not just to try to make uh, the best for my family or even not just try to make a lot of money so I can donate it to the church, but to live in such a way that the common good happens. And so one of my favorite stories is in the Shalom chapter about uh, Bob and Kathy Baldwin. Um, and Bob and Kathy are... Uh, retired folks, and he was an oil executive for many years and an elder in a church, a teacher in the church. And they lived in a neighborhood of, of mostly upper middle class folks who happened to be white. And across the street from them, uh, for years, has been somewhat of a dilapidated uh, mobile home park. And the folks on Bob and Kathy's side of the street in this more uh, affluent neighborhood, they always looked at the mobile home park as a problem. Uh, it deteriorated in quality. It was an eyesore. They didn't know the people. It seemed as if they were all uh, – they weren't working and the kids were running around, and they didn't like that mobile home park. And for years, the affluent neighborhood tried to organize themselves to, uh, to get rid of the mobile home park. Like That was the solution to the problem. And one day it dawned on Bob, well, what if, what if that's not the problem? What if the problem is, is that these people don't have anyone in their corner? What if I bought the mobile home park and transformed it from a problem to a place where uh, people can flourish? And, and so they did. They bought this mobile home park, and instead of trying to shut it down, they built it up. Uh, it really worked uh, to support the dignity of all the people there and started offering classes, uh, put up light fixtures for the first time, paved the roads, put in a park, did all of these things that perhaps most of us would just assume is in our neighborhood, uh, but did it um, for the common good. You know, didn't knock on doors first and say, hey, if you, if you come and hear my sermon about Jesus, I'll, I'll give you this stuff. No, they just gave the stuff and did it uh, because of their love for these people. Um, it's a great story. There's, there's a lot more pieces to it. Uh, for instance, the, the day that Bob was sitting in church and he, he looked down at the end of his pew and he saw for the first time that in his own church sat the manager of that mobile home park. Uh, the same guy he was trying to run out of town for, for many years uh, was a brother in Christ. And all of a sudden he, he, he realized this is a partner. This is somebody I should be blessing instead of trying to run out of town. So I love that story. Uh, I, I love some of the just really simple stories of ordinary people who aren't on the front lines. Uh, stories like the Bashels, Dave and Catherine Bashel, or Twyla Weens, or Jim and Betty Harrington, people who are doing behind-the-scenes work, who are not going to be the peace activists who are arrested and you sometimes see on the news as doing these radical moves. 
they're not the Martin Luther King Juniors who are leading the movement. They're the folks, the dozens and dozens of folks behind the scenes who make it all happen, um, and in really small ways. So Dave and Catherine Bichelle, uh, they have organized their life around loving their neighbors near and far uh, through sustainable practices, through using fair trade, through uh, driving only one car, sharing it between them, and it's a hybrid car. Uh, they don't have a dryer, uh, clothes dryer. They, they hang their clothes out. Uh, all of these small decisions that they've made, um, they recognize they're not the ones changing the world, but they're doing what they can. And, and I love people like that. Uh, and I, so I tell lots of stories like that of folks who are doing small things. You know, they're building peace by a thousand tiny decisions uh, rather than uh, someone like me who's very public in my, in my public theology. Um, so I love those stories, people behind the scenes who are doing the work of the cause uh, that makes it all happen. That is really fantastic. You go from how do we tear this out to how do we grow this together? How, how do we make this a, a vital part of the community and, and the flourishing of all? That is that really is hopeful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Marty, you had mentioned a little bit about uh, some of the feedback you had gotten. People were seeing the book as very hopeful, which uh, certainly agree. Who's reading this book, and, and who else are you hearing from, and, and what other kind of feedback have you gotten? Yeah, I've gotten mostly good feedback, so I need to qualify that. Uh, it, it, as in most of life, folks are probably not going to offer you know, negative feedback unless they have a really specific reason to do that. So two months after publication, I, I, I'm getting mostly good feedback, which I think is that, that's pretty typical of most authors. Um, so that's a big kind of caveat. But what I have heard back from folks uh, has been really meaningful maybe particularly because of who's giving it. Uh, I've heard positive stuff back from Mennonite pastors and, and, and people, but honestly, that hasn't surprised me too much. Uh, in all reality, I didn't necessarily write this for a Mennonite audience, at least not first and foremost. I wrote it for kind of that broader audience of folks who might be interested in Anabaptism, uh, who are in love with Jesus and think highly of, uh, of the of the Bible and, and want uh, to pursue peace and justice, uh, and also then kind of folks who are really passionate about peace and justice, but perhaps not rooted in uh, solid enough spirituality and theology. Um, so I've heard really good feedback from uh, from evangelical friends that I have here in Houston and, and evangelicals beyond. Uh, really important for me and my church, and I think the Mennonite world to understand how interested and how passionate people are uh, in, in the wider church about issues of justice and peace. And, and a lot of the work that you do, a lot of the work that, uh, that, that I and my congregation do here in the city. Um, and so here's, here's one story. I'll give you one story that captures quite a bit. Uh, maybe I'll give you two. But one story is uh, I have a friend who I met years ago. Met him as a pastor friend and didn't know much about his church, but turns out he's pastor of a megachurch, uh, a, a big church that kind of from the outside and the programs all kind of remind me of, of many other megachurches that I know. And he's, he's a megachurch pastor, very successful, founding pastor, started this off, evangelical community church. And I've known him for a lot of time, so we've, we've built up a good relationship. And he said for months, hey, Marty, I really want to support your book and advertise for it. 
And I thought, man, that's great. That's really great. Um, but before it got published and before he did that, I really needed him to know what was in it, just to be authentic and, and honest about it. I, I needed him not to sell the book to somebody without him understanding that I'm a strong pacifist and that I talk about uh, war and peacemaking in the book. And I, so I laid it all out for him. I said, hey, my friend, you know, you got to know what's in the book. You got to understand some of my uh, specific theology and the way that I talk about living out the faith. And uh, and he looked at me and he said, Marty, I know exactly who you are. And that's exactly why I want to share this book with my church and my people. And that was a watershed moment for me uh, of understanding that folks really are open to the promise and gospel of peace. And uh, and that story, I, I've just really clung to that story. and It's been multiplied many times of, of folks who have uh, shared really positive feedback that it's been a challenge. It's made people think that it's pushed them beyond what they understood about the gospel. Um, and just one really short story. I did a book event in Oregon, and somebody came up to me after the book, and we had this conversation. And all, and all of a sudden, he started crying. And he mentioned a section of the book that, for me, felt you know almost a little peripheral. And he mentioned it with such personal passion. With tears in his eyes, he, he talked about it. Uh, There's a story I tell about John chapter 5 and about how the religious leaders misinterpret. And for him, that was so personal. Uh, and he told me some personal stories to reflect on that. Um, and that's another piece of this is how personal it's been for some people. Uh, I tell a lot of personal stories of myself and my own journey of overcoming uh, some of what uh, some of my own personal problems and my my own uh, kind of spiritual weaknesses and and that's connected really powerfully with some people uh, and I've heard positive feedback on that. I, I was just curious here because you're you got three kids, husband, pastor, you're involved in the community. How do you make time to write this book? <laughs> What's your process with this? I mean, this had to become almost. Uh, a spiritual practice in a way. I can't Im- imagine you, you spent a lot of hours and had to sort of shoehorn it in. I w- we'd love to know, how does one get a book like this written? Oh, uh, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. <laughs> it's a hard process. When I look at the book, I see 2,000 hours uh, at least of hard work, late nights, uh, a lot of talking to people. Um, the stories in the book all came out of coffees and phone calls and being in meetings. Um, yeah, it, it, it was probably a two-year journey all overall. Um, started off with a, a sabbatical where I did a lot of the kind of groundwork of study and theology and then uh, signed a contract. And from the time I signed a contract, it was about 11 months until it came out. So that that is I think a pretty typical time frame of almost a year from contract to publication. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was really hard work, really hard work and, and yet really fulfilling. And yes, it was a spiritual discipline, but it became really helpful for me to think about it as kind of a second job. Um, a lot of pastors I know and, and people in general have a second job on the side. Um, and, and that's kind of how it was for me. I, I thought of it as kind of this entrepreneurial spirit that I was charting another chapter in my my story of yes, being you know pastor, but but also starting to become more author as well. And one of the indirect, uh, almost ironic things is that the reason I wrote the book is because I was so enmeshed in the community, 
And then writing the book about those stories and about those people and ministries uh, pulled me back from them. Uh, and so I've been really refreshed now that the book is kind of out and done to get back into the community and, and re-engage some of the stuff uh, that I talk about in the book. Where can folks get a hold of this book at, Marty? Where, where do we send them to? You can get the book on the Herald Press website. If you uh, would like to buy through Herald Press, you can also get the book on Amazon. Uh, if you go to Amazon.com and search for The Gospel Next Door, uh, it'll pop right up. And right now it's 30% off, so you can get a good deal on Amazon. Uh, and if you happen to be in Houston, stop by, and I'll get you a signed copy. Fantastic. Hey, it was great to talk to you, Marty. We look forward to being in touch again soon. Hey, I appreciate that, Jason. Keep uh, choosing peace in a thousand tiny ways, my friend. Thanks for joining us today. We'll be back next week when Hannah Heinziger talks with Drew Hart. You can listen to previous episodes of Peace Lab anytime at www.pjsn.org and at www.themennonite.org. You can also find us and follow us on SoundCloud and Stitcher. Special thanks to Mennonite Mission Network, the mission agency of the Mennonite Church USA, for sponsoring this episode of Peace Lab, and to David Fisher-Foss for our theme song. <laughs>